brought to you by CGTN Europe. Hello and welcome to this week's Razor podcast. I'm Emma Keeling. And I'm Shanice O'Mara. This week on the podcast, we take a look at the connection between COVID-19 and hair loss. But I was also waking up and having like hair all over my pillows and it was generally quite annoying every time I would go anywhere I'd just have hair all over me. I don't know about you Shinny but the pandemic is taking a real toll on many of us but I do know a lot more people are taking a greater interest in science so look at least that's one good thing right? Now, we've covered COVID-19 from a variety of different angles on this show, but it seems that every week we learn something brand new about this deadly virus. That's true. And one of those things is that a certain percentage of patients who contract COVID-19 are suffering from hair loss. One of those people is Roisin O'Connell. She's an administrator at a hair clinic in London, and I spoke to her about her experience with hair loss. So, Roisin, tell us when you noticed you were losing hair. Just sort of describe to us what happened. So I noticed it around the sort of end of June. I basically noticed it when I started brushing my hair. I noticed more hair in my hairbrush. And then when I was showering, I noticed it like at the bottom of the shower. And it seemed like it was falling at like quite an alarming rate. Um, so obviously it was quite it was quite a scary experience. I do have generally quite thick hair, but I would say my hair has kind of, the, like my ponytail has pretty much like halved in size since the like hair fall that I've experienced. Um, and I've been, so basically it would happen, obviously I'd brush my hair twice a day, would see clumps and I'd be um, having to like constantly pull the hair out of my hairbrush and like put it in the bin. But I was also waking up and having like hair all over my pillows. And it was generally quite annoying every time I would go anywhere, I'd just have hair all over me. I have to constantly be picking it off. <laughs> Some days were worse than others, but generally quite large like clumps of hair at a time were coming out. So what was your diagnosis when, when you spoke to the experts? What did they say? So when I spoke to Rally, um, I she she suspected that I had um, telogen effluvium. So they were so she'd seen similar patients who'd also exhibited COVID symptoms. So she was seeing sort of an increase in that. And so she re- it, it made me feel more reassured knowing that other people are going through the same thing that I am. Well, I have an important point to make here because more research is needed to find out if COVID-19 is the actual cause of this hair loss. But look, let me tell you what is being noticed at the Belgravia Centre in London where they treat hair loss. So you heard Roy Sheen there talking about telogen effluvium, and it's also known as TE. It's a form of temporary hair loss, and it can occur after a stressful or, or traumatic event, a fever or severe illness. And it's common for TE-related hair loss to present around about three months after a period of trauma. So stress affects the hair cycle. And the body shuts down systems it doesn't need to focus on the biggest problem at hand. And I guess one of those, well, in, in terms of what the body thinks is important, hair loss is not one of those important things. And so experts at the centre have noticed that a number of their patients who've contracted the virus have arrived at their door around three months later. Gosh, I mean, to be honest, Emma, the whole thing sounds quite stressful and upsetting. Yeah, well, just imagine, there you are suffering all these different symptoms and then your hair starts falling out as well. So, look, to look at it a little bit further, 
I spoke to the Belgravia Institute's superintendent trichologist, uh, Raleigh Bozanova, um, and in case you didn't know, uh, trichology is the study of human hair, and she told me about when she started to notice the connection between hair loss and COVID-19. Um, so we started recording our data uh, from the end of June for six weeks, just so we can see if our suspicions were right, if we are indeed seeing more cases of telogen effluvium related to COVID, and from 51 patients who self-reported having COVID symptoms in March or April, um, 30 of them also got diagnosed with telogen effluvium three months later. Um, so that is likely to be related to their illness. But like I said, it could be a mixture of the fact that the illness is causing a lot of mental stress as well on top of the physical stress. So is the loss of hair related to stress? Or is it an actual symptom that we should be looking out for to see whether we have COVID-19? We don't really have any any concrete research on this. So, so far, the reports of, of hair loss have all been anecdotal. Um, so more studies are needed for sure. But experts say it's difficult to isolate a single cause for this um, telogen effluvium. Because as well as stress and illness, other potential causes can include medication and dietary deficiencies as well. So how common is this? Well, we don't really know. I mean, obviously, it was happening enough um, of, to the patients at the Belgravia centres that they sent out a press release. But scientists just aren't sure if it's significant. So there hasn't really been, you know, this hasn't been added to the official symptom list yet. We just need that research. So is that how you found out about this story then? Yeah, well, I saw the press release, but also um, I'd seen Alyssa Milano, who's an American actress, and she'd been on social media and said, hey, look at all the hair I'm losing. Uh, now, interestingly enough, she'd had a lot of different symptoms, but had tested negative for corona twice in March, and then she had an antibody test a little bit later, which was also negative. Uh, so, you know, so confusing, and she wanted to warn people that this virus was serious and, and say, hey, I don't know if you knew about the hair loss. But then in August, she had another antibody test and it was positive. So, I mean, I think this whole thing's a bit of a, a warning. And I think this is how we sort of found out about, you know, people with long hauler symptoms, you know, that, that were suffering multiple symptoms over many months. And maybe this could be important um, down the line. But, we, you know, we don't know until people like Alyssa Milano come out and say, hey, has anybody else got this? Um, and it's just sort of something else that, well, we don't know if it's significant. Hopefully it, it won't be, and hopefully it's down to stress. But yeah, just another example of how confusing this virus can be. The Alps, timeless and changing. Every year we have to add an additional 80 steps. It's losing like six meters of ice every year. Spring is now three to four weeks earlier than it was 50 or 60 years ago. The restaurant has shifted with the glacier beneath it. Climate change helping to push a hut over the border from one country to another. The Alps, timeless and changing. Online now at cgtn.com forward slash Europe. Well, Shani, every week in science is an exciting week, but was there something in particular that caught your eye? Yeah. Um, for me, I've always got a thing about throwing away food. Me too. Me too. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm like trying to save everything. But 
researchers at Flinders University, which is in Adelaide in South Australia, have come up with this new kind of sensor that is kept inside the packaging of seafood and it can detect when it spoils. Oh, that's handy for seafood because you can get very sick from that stuff. We get sick because of something called biogenic amines, which play an important physiological function of all living cells. But any high levels of this stuff in seafood has a really adverse impact on human health, and that's what causes the food poisoning. So the way it works is that they've come up with a solid-state fluorescent sensor, which is loaded onto filter papers, and um, it basically lights up when the seafood creates these biogenic amine vapors. And so the sensor would kind of light up when it when it's gone off. Huh, so simple, so clever. Yeah, it's like the actual, the way it's used is very simple. And so I think it's quite an exciting um, invention. It's been a long time coming, but it kind of, it's the idea that we will throw less food away because, you know, we're overfishing in some areas of the world and things like that. So if we can become more efficient in the way we consume seafood, I think that's only a good thing. Definitely. It's such a precious commodity. But um, I mean, you know, it'd be good if we didn't fish as much, but at least the stuff that we do fish and pull out and uh, it'd be good to know whether we're wasting, well, any of it, some of it. Definitely. Love it. Well done, Aussie. Emma, what have you got for us this week? Well, it's all very exciting at the moment, isn't it? We're starting to hear about the success of COVID vaccines and trials, but there's still other really interesting research uh, going on into the virus. And at Cardiff University, a study has found that mouthwash, good old mouthwash, can eradicate coronavirus within 30 seconds of being exposed to it in a laboratory. Now, that's probably a very key word there, laboratory only so far. So it's a prelim result, and it comes ahead of a clinical trial into whether using over-the-counter mouthwash has the potential to reduce the levels of COVID-19 in a patient's saliva. And I guess you could sort of think of mouthwash as a bit like hand sanitizer, really, isn't it? For your hands, Mm -hmm. mouthwash for your mouth. Now, this report says that mouthwashes contain at least 0.07% of cetylpyridinium chloride, cetylpyridinium chloride, CPC, let's call it CPC, and it showed promising signs of being able to combat the virus. So the report is yet to be peer-reviewed, but it supports other recent studies that found that CPC-based mouthwashes are effective in reducing COVID-19's viral load. Uh, The results of the 12-week trial will be published in early 2021. I mean, obviously, a lab is very different from a person's mouth, um, and the study won't give any direct evidence of viral transmission between patients, but it will show scientists how long any effects last following a single swill of mouthwash. So isn't that lovely? Just another another little simple way, hopefully, if, if the trials go well, that, um, yeah, we can get the hand sanitizer, we've got the masks, uh, we've got the mouthwash, a uh, nice little potent combination. All things that we already had. Brilliant. Yeah. And I like, I mean, gosh, how clean are we now after this pandemic? I mean, it goes to show how grubby we were before but you know now we're washing our hands and we're wearing masks and I mean god we might even start wearing and you know using mouthwash we'll be, we'll be fresher better people I'm all for uh people using more mouthwash even if it doesn't you know actually affect COVID 
I mean, mouthwash is a good thing, you know. Yeah, I wonder, now I'm going to look on the back of my mouthwash and see whether it's full of CPCs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yes, let's not get excited. Let's not, I mean, I guess we can we can sort of safely say to people, it's okay if you start um, using mouthwash, that's not going to do any damage. But we don't know if this is actually effective yet. But look, think of it this way, at least you're going to have fresh breath and your teeth will be happier so there's no harm there I mean it's one of the it's a process of elimination isn't it I mean I don't know that mouthwash is going to be the answer to all our you know all our problems um, but certainly I, I like having these little simple things that we can all do without having to go to scientists and doctors and you know hospitals for, for help and vaccines and stuff I mean vaccines we desperately do need the vaccine but look every little bit helps I mean look look at the South Korean man um, I was reading about him the other week he invented a device that fits over the rails on escalators so it just sort of clips onto the bottom of the rails and it's got a UV light in it to kill the bugs so look there's another one because I mean how terrifying is it going to the I mean I'm thinking about germs a lot more these days you know when you touch handrails shopping trolleys those buttons at the pedestrian crossings I mean I I reel back in horror now whenever I see these things but yeah a simple just a, a UV light on an escalator rail clean as a whistle brilliant I think added to the list added to the list of mouthwash hand sanitizers masks will have to be our own personal UVC lights source yeah and know. if we can Find some way of convincing people that, you know, wearing deodorant um, actually stops COVID, then I think we're on to a winner. I mean, it, well, this social distancing malarkey is really suiting you, isn't it? <laughs> I am becoming a clean freak. It's terrifying. Stay away from Emma. <laughs> That's it for another edition of Razor. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you want to see the videos from some of these stories, go to CGTN Europe and type in Razor. Also, we have a brand new YouTube channel. Very exciting. And all you need to do to find it there is type in uh, Razor Science Show. Very efficient. Very official. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.